Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast, and to this, the mighty start of several episodes on the maritime history of Australia. I've begun my odyssey in Fremantle, Western Australia, the location of the truly fabulous Western Australian Shipwrecks Museum. Let me say now how enormously welcoming everyone has been to help me set up a number of interviews that we will be bringing you over the coming weeks. A cornucopia of Australian maritime heritage, with episodes on the Dutch exploration of the coast, the extraordinary tale of William Dampier, a pirate scientist, explorer and rogue, and his ship, the Roebuck, the wreck of which was discovered by a team from Perth. Uh, The construction of the replica Dutch vessel, the Dyfkin, that is the ship credited with the first sighting of the Australian mainland by a European. And we even have an interview with a professional model maker, a man who has dedicated his life to recreating the maritime world in miniature. And that is just the Western Australian episodes. There's more to come from Queensland as well. Let us begin today with the Dutch in Western Australia, the story of how and why they first sighted Australia on board the Dyfkin in 1606, of how and why they proved their discoveries, and of how and why so many of their ships that followed the Dyfkin were wrecked. To tell me more, I met up with Ellie Spillacom. Ellie has a background in coaching, teaching and art, and she worked in the town council of Zarnstad in northern Holland for 25 years. It's the oldest industrial area in the world where the turning windmill was invented at the end of 1500. The history and artistry of timber construction in both buildings and boats has been a special subject of interest for Ellie whilst living in the Netherlands for 55 years. When she moved to Australia in 2013, she became coordinator of the Dyfkin 1606 Replica Foundation, a volunteer at the Shipwrecks Museum and a curator of the Dutch Australian Foundation. As always, I trust that you enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoyed talking with her. Here is the passionate, the international, the deeply knowledgeable Ellie. Right, here we are. We're going to walk through into this gallery here and um, find out about uh, the Dutch in Australia. Um, 
Let's start with this map, Ellie, because it really does uh, explain so much of what's going on. So we're looking at a map here um, which explains how and why the Dutch ended up in Australia. Take us through what's going on here. Well, it's a map actually from uh, the part of the Indian Ocean. Um, we know that Vasco da Gama uh, came long hundred years before the Dutch on the Indian Ocean. Um, and the Portuguese and the Spanish were already uh, mapping the whole area. And the Dutch knew that they went to get spices in um, this part, in India, uh, Indonesia. Um, and the Dutch became a powerful institution around 1600. And they decided uh, first to, uh, in South Africa, to put a refreshing station there, so they could go easily into the Indian Ocean. So what happened is they came from uh, the north. Um, the, 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 before it was called the VOC, it was called the Company van Verre, and that means the company from afar. And they were actually the first united group who tried to get uh, ships there. Um, and when they came from Amsterdam and all around Africa, um, they went into the Indian Ocean, but mostly above Madagascar, um, Mauritius, Zanzibar. Uh, so they'd go north up the coast of Africa, across to India, and then down to Asia? Yes, they did that. So what um, Cornelius um, Houtman thought, well, the roaring 40s wind is coming from South Africa yeah. um, on the 40... Um, Parallel. Parallel. And then it would go to uh, somewhere on the west coast of the big Southlands, Hollandia Nova called. Uh, because in um, 1606, the Duifke, uh was traveling around here uh, in Indonesia along the Spice Islands in Papua New Guinea. And they went a bit too far and they bumped into uh, a part of what's now called Queensland. Um, it's called um, Wipa. And there they mapped the coast for about 300 k's. And they knew there was something bigger connected to it. Right, so they knew there was a big land there. And so by coming across from South Africa right along the 40th parallel, um, and this is on their way to the, the Dutch East Indies, they um, went a bit far and found the west coast of Australia. Yes, and that was actually uh, four years after Brouwer found the Roaring Forties, and it was by the VOC uh, a point like, okay, now ships have to go to take that route because it takes uh, months uh, less to go to Indonesia, then they decided, okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Dirk Hartog was actually one of the first with the Eindracht in 1616 to do that right. route from Brouwers. So they changed, they changed the way that they went to the Dutch, uh, to, to Batavia, to, the, to yeah. the East Indies in Java. Yeah. And it demonstrated so clearly here, this, this, um, this chart, that if you go um, straight across from the bottom of South Africa, you, do, you touch uh, um, Australia and it blows you very powerfully, very quickly there. It's a fantastic map. It shows all of the different uh, the trade, the trade winds. And so it makes much more sense about how, how difficult it is to get down from India towards um, uh, towards what were the, the Dutch Spice Islands. So um, that's a, a fantastic introduction. Now let's go and have our nose around and see what we can see. 
Yes, so uh, this, this is one of the first uh, paintings also from the first fleet. Uh, I mentioned the Company van Ferre, that was before the VOC started in uh, 1602. And this is in 1595 when they came back um, to uh, Amsterdam and they actually took some spices with them. So they the, didn't. This is the first fleet to go to the Indies. Yes. Yeah, the first yeah. Sort of spice fleet. Yes, and um, it was not really successful straight away because they couldn't find the pepper and the, yeah. the islands, and of course the Portuguese were dealing with that uh, uh, cargo area, and so yeah, there was the, there was a problem, um, but they succeeded. So that is actually the start. Yeah. Off. The start of the whole story, how they yes. ended up here. Now let's go around the corner because I want to see um, these uh, amazing um, posts and the plates linked with the um, early Dutch settlers here. The early Dutch visitors, not really settlers. No. Um, I think it's a, the, a truly magnificent thing. Um, so I'm walking through the gallery here. Now on my right is a, uh, a large clear case with two timber posts in it and they're very very weather beaten. Tell me about these. Well, um, Dirk Hartog in 1616 um, came um, all along the west coast. He started roughly uh, around this area and he went up north, north, north. And what happened is that um, he Halfway, he thought, I have to leave my mark. Right. And um, he thought, I have to find a place uh, where I can go. And um, there's always wood on the ship and always pewter plates. So he thought pewter is a very, very soft metal. So he pushed it between two uh, blocks of wood. Okay. And with a hammer and a nail, he wrote. Um, Oh, here's the inscription. Here we are. Yeah. Um, 1616, the 25th October, is here arrived the ship Endracht of Amsterdam, the Uppermerchant Gillis Mibes. You're better at pronouncing that than me. Mibes of Liege. Liege is a luik, uh, skipper, Dirk Hartog of Amsterdam. The 27th ditto, we set sail for Bantam, the undermerchant Jan Stins, the first mate Peter Dorks van Bill year 1616 so this is inscribed on a pewter plate it's about uh it's, it's a large dinner plate i'd say um and he nailed that, it to a post correct. and left it there it's a dinner plate and you see the line in uh on the side yeah uh, where uh, you know the the it was slightly elevated yeah so what we're looking at here is a replica of the original plate because the original is in amsterdam yeah yes in the Rijksmuseum. yeah and um it it's ha has been here for a couple of times yeah uh, on special occasions but uh, in um 2016 it was the last time the the plate could travel yeah. because it's so sensitive and yeah. so thin it's a wonderful thing. Um, I'd like to have been the person that sort of came and found it. So this isn't the only plate. And also, you've got the post. I mean, yes. this is the amazing thing. This is the post that the plate was hammered to. Yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. It looks like a, um, a huge ore um, with plenty of nails yeah. hammered into it. And, and uh, the original Hartog plate, uh, pole plate, uh, we don't know what happened with that. Uh, because when the Flaming came, 
um, he found pieces of uh, the pole, um, but they were, it was 80 years later, so it was in uh, 1697. So they decided to put a new uh, piece of wood that actually uh, Fleming took from Rottnest Island, mm -hmm. where he visited, and where were still a lot of trees, and ships had always wood uh, to repair things. Yeah. So he put, uh, put the post there, he found actually the plate buried from uh, Hartog, uh, about 80 centimeters in dust and really? sand. So he was very lucky that he found it. Good for him area. to search around. Yeah, because there was an area, uh, a map with um, uh, the area marked with a cross. Yeah. And by the descriptions of the logbook he had from Dirk Hartog, he knew um, that it was in Turtle Bay, that's the name of that area on Dirk Hartog Island. So he knew the, the place, but it, it took a while to find it. So then he put uh, the, the, the pole there, but then he thought, if I take the plate to Amsterdam to prove that the Dutch were the first, well, I have to leave something behind. And what he actually did, the same as Dirk Hartog, he took a pewter plate, uh, a dinner plate. Mm -hmm. He did the same, especially uh, between two uh, plates of wood and with a hammer and a nail, he carved in it. And th th this is the plate that actually survives here. So we've been looking at the Hartog one, which is a replica, but this is the original thing. This is the Flaming plate. Yes, it is from 1697. And the Flaming thought, well, if I put that plate there, I have to acknowledge uh, Dirk Hartog and his text, because he was the first, and then we have proof that 1616 is actually the date. Um, so he wrote actually the same as what uh, Hartog yeah. wrote, and then he had his own text behind it. Uh, and uh, the name of the ships, the Geelving, the Nijptang, het Weseltje, the date, uh, the names of the people who were there, and that's actually what this plate is all about. Um, so that was left on the west coast. Um, and then the French came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right, let's carry on walking around because there's some uh, magnificent um, items upstairs which I would like to talk about. And we're going to go through the Batavia Gallery. I should just say for uh, all of you listening that we're going to do a separate, separate episode on the uh, remarkable history of the Batavia, which is uh, the real centerpiece of this magnificent museum as well, but we'll give you a bit of a taster now, uh, a bit further on. It's a wonderful old building. Yes. How old is the building? Uh, it is from uh, one of the earliest buildings of uh, Fremont Hall, and I always forget the date. It's from the front. Uh, so was it built by convicts? It must have been. Uh, yes. Uh, a lot of buildings are here, like the first jail and other things, are all built by convicts. Um, we're just going to walking through uh, the mind-blowing Batavia Gallery, so the Batavia Wreck. Uh, just tell me a little about that and we'll come back and do a proper episode. Um, I'm, I'm looking at a large section of the actual ship which has been raised from the seabed and it's suspended from one wall. Um, it's truly magnificent. Um, just give us a rough idea about what about the Batavia history. Well, the Batavia was actually the, the special ship uh, named after the city Batavia, what's now called Jakarta. And it was the most important and one of the biggest ships ever built in 1628. 
um, and it's it's it was so special because it took a lot of special people to Batavia, um, some high placed persons from the VOC, but also wives uh, from uh, people who already worked there. Um, and it was their main voyage. So um, it is actually, um, yeah, they were in a fleet of eight, and Pelsart was the commodore of the whole fleet. And there was a person on the ship that was uh, a person non gratia in the Netherlands, Jeromius Cornelius. And he was actually uh, from an organization so powerful that the, 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 the then government didn't know what to do with him. So they thought if we put him on a ship, he, he can't do any harm. We give him a position in, in Indonesia. But he lost his wife and his daughter of syphilis. And we think that he had syphilis as well. Right. So he was not really thinking. Not thinking straight. So the, the Batavia is wrecked off the coast. Yes, because he started a sort of plot planning and mutiny. Right. And what happened is that when they sailed from South Africa, the refreshing station, there was a big storm and they got separated from the rest. And Pelsad, because this was the main ship, was on this ship um, as Commodore. Um, but, but the captain was more into the mutineers, yeah. uh, so they were not really careful and what happened is they took a different route and they ended up, uh, thought it was moonlight shimmering on, uh, in the water, but it, it was actually the reef. Right. So they smashed the reef and um, 60 to 80 people were died straight away, but they managed to get on the islands. But then what happened that Pelsart thought, okay, I, I, there's nobody going to save us. So the ship was on top of the reef for three days. And then um, they decided, okay, we, we can take all the gold jewels, everything off, and a lot of other things, food and, and water. But then we have to find a rescue ship to get us from these islands because there were still uh, more than 200 people. Um, yeah. So he left and then Euromius Cornelius took over again and decided we're going to finish the mutiny, we're going to kill the people who are not working with us and we're going to build ourselves a ship or if, if the rescue ship is coming back we ca can take it over and then we have a long life rich. Yeah. Um, it's one of, one of the most extraordinary horror stories in maritime history. Yeah, and um, it's, it's not typical Dutch because, you know, mutinies were not really a Dutch thing. Yeah. So, for us it's, it's really a strange history as well. Yeah. And there are about, I have 20 books about the history, and 10 in Dutch and 10 in English. And Russell Crowe wants to make a movie about it. I'm not surprised, it would be a very good movie. So uh, the, uh, the wreck was found and it was raised, when did that happen? Uh, 1963, it was, uh, they knew there were uh, wreck things around and, and especially fisher people uh, who were around, they always thought, uh, okay, we don't tell anybody because otherwise uh, the, the, the Western Australian government will say, oh yeah, you can't go there and you can't go here. Um, so actually a lot of people already took a lot of things from the sea bottom and new things, but they never told. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're standing here also looking at a skeleton of one of the um, uh, victims of the mutiny. Yes. Um, so a, a cutting wound to the head. Yes, he has a cutting wound on the head and we know the sword that's in another part of the museum. You see here the, 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 the deep wound he had. Mm. So he, he must be on the island. He is found on Beacon Island as well where the most of the, we have a lot of skeletons um, yeah. and we have more in the museum. Yeah. Um, but so we know this was a crew member. This was a crew member um, who was uh, struck over the head with, with some kind of sharp implement, sword or with a sword. Axe, with, definitely yeah. with a sword. Yeah. Uh, it says here, um, records show that many of the mutineer victims were driven into the sea to be murdered and their bodies left to the tide and the fishes. So, um, you have some skeletons, but not all of them. No, no, not yeah. all. <laughs> no, um, not all 200. <laughs> now, uh, the the display of this hull is, or the section of the hull is completely remarkable, and it's on a bed of bricks. Tell me about these bricks. The the, the bricks are the ballast bricks. They are yellow bricks. Um, they are found uh, in the north of uh, the Netherlands, uh, but also in the west, uh, made of clay and dried in the sun. And um, a lot of people in Indonesia really liked the bricks um, because after they were not used as palace bricks anymore um, because they get spices in, in, in the ships and the ships would be um, good enough uh, with the balance. So they didn't need the bricks, they left them in Indonesia, they sold them to the Dutch people there because they liked to make a brick house and not, um, you know, a bamboo house or, mm -hmm. uh, or a wooden one. So they were very happy and you still can see in uh, Jakarta and other uh, countries, uh, villages, a lot of uh, bricks from, these ballast bricks from all the 4,000 VOC ships. Mm. Uh, not all, of course, because uh, we know how uh, ship, uh, ships didn't end up in, in Indonesia all the time because they were shipwrecked but the company built about 4000 ships to here life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, now, just beyond it is a, uh, a really remarkable thing. It's, <laughs> it's an enormous stone portico, um, which, uh, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, a huge, magnificent entrance 
into um, what would have been a fort. And this, if I'm right, was on the Batavia. This is a replica of it, but the um, the, the stones here were, were also on board the Batavia, acting as ballast. Yes, that's correct. They, they come from Germany because the Netherlands didn't have uh, quarries with, with bricks like this or stone. We could make from clay uh, something, but not this. Um, and they were on the, on the ship. And in the beginning when they found the wreck, they didn't actually know, um, the, the people from the museum, what it was all about. They, they, they were numbered. So when they laid them out after they cleaned them, they thought, hey, this <laughs> looks like a sort of uh, big portico. Yeah. And then they found out that it was actually the portico for the city Batavia, what's now called the Jakarta. Because they also found drawings where they saw a scaffold standing, waiting for the big blocks to finish the castle Batavia that was named um, after the, the city. Because the Netherlands were not the Netherlands named. We called the Seven Prophecies or the Batavian Republic. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so Batavia comes from the Batavia. Though that was a group of people who came from South Europe right. up, up the river. So Batavia was a very important name and everything was called Batavia. Yeah. And this portico is amazing. It's, um, it looks like it could come from a, a, a Roman temple as well. So yeah. two large um, columns with a classical archway in the centre and um, a, a sort of triangular uh, piece on top. Amazing to actually have that on board a ship and very clever to have rebuilt it in this museum. Um, now let's pop upstairs and uh, find out a little bit more about the Dutch. Yes. Um, so we're walking through here. So th was this a warehouse? Yes, it was a warehouse and you can see uh, some pieces uh, like constructions uh, all around here uh, where big um, blocks uh, of stuff were moved from uh, one place to another. Um, the door, what you saw just there with the portico, was actually where the horses came in. Oh, I see. So the horses came in and um, they were around um, to get all the, the stuff in there. Yeah. And we're upstairs now um, and we can look down onto the um, inside the hull of the Batavia, um, which as I say is, is suspended at the appropriate angle, so um, you can, it's, it's like looking inside the, inside the ship itself. Uh, truly, truly impressive. Now, uh, here we are, these are, this is a gallery full of artefacts <coughs> recovered from the Dutch wrecks on the west coast of Australia. Yes. So let's go and find out a little bit about those. Oh, actually, before we do that, let's stop and talk about this. This is the spice table. Yes. This is what makes, makes the whole thing make sense. What are we looking at here? Um, there are different spices, of course, that they were taken out of Indonesia. And um, the spices were very, very expensive in those days. It took, of course, a long way to get there. In the early days, Arab people would trade them with small boats to the mainland and then with camels and horses up to Constantinople yep. or Venice. But we have the spices uh, that the Dutch took and those are the five important ones. Okay, what are we looking at then? It's pepper, cloves, um, we had um, nutmeg, and we have star anise 
and cinnamon. Yeah. Those are the five important. Of course, the maize, that's the outside layer of the nutmeg, was very important. Um, and we have, of course, coffee, but that was not really... It's, it's a spice, but it's, and the Dutch took it, um, but it was not the main thing. But these five others, and one nutmeg was worth a horse in that time. <laughs> wow. So it was the same amount as gold. And the Dutch were very clever because they driven up the price. If they knew, okay, there is a, a, a demand to nutmeg or something, they would cut off all the trees on the other islands, keep it on one island, and the price went sky uh, high. Okay. So very clever. Yeah. The the Dutch were very clever in trading and keeping the price very, very lucrative yeah, for them. Keeping control of it. So they then um, uh, took to the ships and um, had to sail and get back with all of the spices. Where we're walking now to a, um, uh, a display which demonstrates the uh, four Dutch wrecks that uh, have been discovered here on the west coast of Australia. Yes, um, <coughs> there are four wrecks discovered, but um, a lot of people think they are more um, shipwrecks. But we have the South Europe uh, shipwrecked um, about 800k up north from Perth in 1712. Then we have, of course, the, the, the one in the Batavia, yeah. 1629, uh, the Zeewijk, 1727, and the Gilt Dragon of the Vergulde Draak in 1656. Um, the the, the Gilt Dragon was the closest to Perth. The others were um, the Batavia and the Zeewijk were on the Abrolles Islands, that's about 500 up north from Perth in the direction of Geraldton and then the South Earth Cliffs, cliffs are 800 k's up north. But we still think there are more because um, especially um, a couple of people found elephant tusks. Right. And that was really interesting because how did the elephant tusk came on that spot where a couple of ships were shipwrecked yeah. that were earlier and supposed not to have elephant tusk. Right. So there is a big dispute in that because we know that the Guild Dragon had elephant tusks. Yeah. Um, and uh, Graham um, Henderson, uh, the former director of uh, the Shipwreck Museum, found them. But yeah, there is still a lot of uh, things to discover. Yeah, uh, fascinating stuff. And so. Um, what are the, there, are, there are so many um, artefacts uh, which have been raised from the wrecks here. Um, take me to a couple of your favourite. What's, what's, what's interesting here? Well, um, I'm, I'm really interested in maritime, so for me it's the ship itself. Okay. I like the artefacts and I like all the things uh, that tell a story, especially the coins are really amazing. Wow. Because, <laughs> because they're, they are fantastic. Look at these. I'm looking at a display. Oh my goodness me! I've just realised that I'm looking at um, an enormous amount. I, was, I thought we were just looking at these. But no, no, it's the carpet of silver. And the are, carpet of silver? Yeah. They're, they're ships that, that, that had uh, thousands of um, um, coins at, at them. And, and most of them um, had, of course, um, the coins made in. Um, in South America. Uh, the Spanish reals are very famous. <coughs> but there are an enormous amount of coins still 
Yeah, it says here of the Batavia, um, the, the uh, wrecked on, on Morning Reef, and it was carrying money chests containing 259,788 guilders. Yeah. Uh, most of the chests were salvaged at the time, uh, but there was still uh, a large, a large amount here. Um, they're magnificent things. So, yeah, and, and there are, is a lot of glass, uh, silver um, pipes, you know, um, because all the, the people smoked. Um, yep. Most of them were men on the Batavia, there were some women. But um, pipes were very important. Yeah, made in Gouda. Yeah, made in Gouda. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, there's a dice. There's a, also a wonderful collection of glass, <laughs> coloured um, coloured glass here, purple. Yeah, it's uh, uh, the big ships had glass. The smaller yachts didn't have glass. Um, it was not allowed to have glass on the small boat um, because um, uh, if the crew would um, smash them on the deck, it could start a fire. Right. So they were only uh, taken to the captain's cabin and the small yachts didn't have a big uh, captain's area. So uh, they had only wood and, and, and um, uh, like Beardman's uh, things. But glass was um, a very important thing on the bigger ships like the Batavia. Yeah. And uh, more uh, some silver as well. Now th here's a, a model of a, of a fascinating ship. Yes, it's a, it's a model of uh, actually the first wooden uh, boat built in um, WA and actually in whole Australia. It's built by Adrian Young. Adrian Young is the most important, together with Casey here, model maker. Um, of uh, this museum. He also made it for the big maritime museum, uh, different uh, models. So tell me the story of the building of the ship. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, isn't it? the, the story is amazing because uh, he translated the logbook from Adrian de Graaf, who was the captain um, at that time on the, uh, on the Zeewijk. And because of that logbook, he could translate how they built the ship because Adrian de Graaf wrote in his diary, in his logbook, bit by bit how they built the ship, what they needed. So the ship is, the original ship is wrecked? Yes, it's wrecked, but it's still around on the reef. So they've still got the timber? Yes, yeah. now not all, um, but parts of it. Um, and parts of it um, was also uh, that they, they could um, rescue a, a box with tools, um, other things. So sails, ropes, other... What, what year is this? This is in um, 1727. Okay. Um, and it took them eight months to, uh, to build uh, the ship. And um, first they sent the longboat with, with the party to go to Indonesia, the same as actually the Batavia longboat did 100 yep. years before them. And they decided... To get help. To get help, because they, they knew they were there wouldn't be a rescue ship there coming to save them. Yeah. Um, but the longboat yeah, disappeared and yeah, then they knew, well, nothing will happen. Uh, yeah. We have to save ourselves. save ourselves. So they start building the, the ship and um, with mangrove wood from the mainland and the islands. So they put a ship together. Um, that was really seaworthy. Yeah. Uh, so it was amazing. And the lucky thing, they had seals on the island, so they survived. They had rainwater. Um, so 
they, 80 people could survive yeah. and they made it to uh, Batavia so technically it's the first ship that's built here wooden boat <laughs> in Australia yeah. and it actually uh, was in Batavia uh, still functioning for a couple of years in the harbour really? to go between the big ships yeah. and to to tell this amazing story. It is an extraordinary story. I think we should find out more about it. Um, let's bring everything up to date a bit now. Is there still a tradition of shipbuilding, wooden shipbuilding in Western Australia? Oh yes, there is. There, there is a lot of shipbuilding. Actually, uh, one uh, every three months a ship is uh, launched, right. a wooden boat. Uh, we have a lot of original shipbuilders from the Endeavour, from uh, Replica and the Divco Replica yeah. around. We have Amateur Boat Builders Association, Maritime Heritage Association, the old gaffers. They all build boats and they sail and they keep the tradition alive. Yeah. Well, I'm going to find out a little bit more about the building of replicas later when I, I chat with Graham. Um, and let's bring up the story of the Dutch in Western Australia uh, up to the present day, because there's a, a big Dutch community here, isn't yes. there? Yes, yeah, we have about 300,000 Dutchies in uh, Australia, and we have actually um, 30,000 Dutchies here in uh, West Australia. So it's a very, very big community here. And uh, we have a lot of organizations connected to it. Uh, we have a business club, uh, we have a historical club, we have Nelandia. Um, because most of them came from either the Dutch East Indies or they came from um, the Netherlands after the war. Yeah. Because, you know, there was no future um, in the Netherlands. There were two kind of big periods of emigration, the 1920s and then the 50s, is that, is that correct? Yeah, well it was um, indeed uh, just before the Japanese war started in, uh, in uh, Indonesia or, or the whole turbulent area. Um, so people left Indonesia before that, it was still a Dutch colony at that time. Yeah. Um, but they they went first to the Netherlands, but then the war started there. So yeah. it was not a really amazing time. And they didn't fit in the, in the Netherlands anymore. So they want to be go back to the tropics. And the Australian government decided, okay, you, you're going to get a ticket to come here because they needed a lot of people as well. Yeah. And uh, a lot of them became farmers, especially in the area here in the south. But a lot of people went to Brisbane, Tasmania, and also the East Coast. But we have a very large population here. Do we know much about the uh, vessels, the emigrant ships that, that took oh, to yes, port everywhere? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm uh, also the curator of an immigration uh, okay. yeah, uh, group, uh, Nonya Peters. We have a professor at Curtin University. She's an amazing person. She is an immigrant, she came, her family came from Indonesia, immigrated before the war uh, to the Netherlands and then they couldn't fit in anymore and after the war they came to Australia yeah. and she writes books, she's professor of immigration at Curtin University here and we just finished an exhibition on the Australian Embassy um, in the Netherlands, in The Hague and that's now coming here to travel around um, she wrote a lot of books and there is a lot of information about immigration here. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I'll 
be sure to come back and find out a little bit more about it. Ellie, thank you very much indeed for giving me the talk. No, you're welcome. Thank you all so much for listening. Now, please don't let this be the last thing that you do to interact with our fabulous podcast. Firstly, go to YouTube and find the Mariner's Mirror podcast YouTube page. It's phenomenal. An ever-growing library of some of the most extraordinary and innovative videos showcasing our maritime past in new ways. My current favourite is the 3D animation showing how a 250-ton, 21-metre, 3,500-year-old granite obelisk was shipped from Alexandria to London in 1878. And if you're interested in maritime technology, as I know that many of you are, please look at the animation explaining how a curious 19th century propeller worked with blades that moved in opposite directions. This one has actually gone viral online and a clip of it has been seen by 4.2 million people on Instagram. Well done us. As always, please remember that this podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and the Lloyd's Register Foundation. So do please be sure to check out both of those institutions. You can find the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk. They have a vibrant international membership, so please join. It's a brilliant way of not only meeting people, but of learning about the past from the world's very best maritime historians. And the History and Education Centre of the Lloyd's Register Foundation, which has been doing maritime historical works since 1760 you can find at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk they in particular have a fabulous new project called maritime innovation in miniature where they are filming the world's best ship models with the latest camera technology it really is quite extraordinary to find it just google maritime innovation in miniature <laughs>